First time on the ballot, and we all knew this was happening. Congratulations to the great Adrian Beltre for making it to the Hall of Fame, voted in by the writers. Ken Rosenthal, our FT Senior Insider with us, and AJ Przinsky from FT. But Ken, um, you, the writers put in Adrian Beltre, obviously. This was easy for that contingent to do, right? Scott, as a voter, I didn't even give this a second thought. 3,000 hits, 477 home runs, five gold gloves, just an exemplary player at a position that is underrepresented in the hall. So Adrian Beltre was not a difficult call at all. You see by the high vote total that he wasn't a difficult call for many people, and it's not a surprise at all that he's getting in. AJ, you played with and against Beltre for a long time, didn't you? I played against Beltre, geez, starting, I think, in 1997 when he was about 17 years old. I don't know exactly how old he was, but then I got lucky (laughs) enough to play against him when he was at the Dodgers, the the Mariners, the Red Sox, all these teams, and then I got to play with him with the Rangers. Uh, One of the best teammates I ever played with, one of my favorite people I ever played with, just an awesome player and a better person, honestly, away from the game. Um, The way he handled his business, the way he went about everything on a daily basis, this is a guy that, to me, represents a first ballot Hall of Famer for Major League Baseball on and off the field. So congratulations, Adrian, to you and your family. Well-deserved honor, and I uh, can't wait to hear your speech. Bonus Scott, I'll say too. one I mean, more thing, too, about yeah. Adrian Beltre that probably AJ could speak more to. This guy played hurt like nobody else, and he went through a variety of physical ailments in his career. His toughness was one of the things that kind of made him such a leader. He led by example in that fashion, and we don't generally look at those kinds of things when we're voting for Hall of Famers, but with him, the character was all part of it, too. And, yeah, I will say, fun personality for fans to enjoy. He had the whole back and forth all the time with Elvis Andrews. Don't, don't touch his head. Don't get near that. Um, and as you can see, plenty of memories, but the numbers are there. In a variety of ways, Ken, which I think helps, too, to tell the story because we're in a different time period. You're not going to have many players that are going to rack up 3,166 hits. He's got almost 500 home runs, five gold gloves. He gets the offense and the defense handled and in check. And then you look at, obviously, a more modern statistic like War wins above replacement, and he has the third most ever for third baseman ever. So he really satisfies all qualifications, and that's why he's a lot to get in like this and and does right away. He does, Scott, and that's some great points that you're making there because right now, the way the voting has evolved, the way our thinking has evolved throughout the game, there's much more value, it seems to me, on the all-around player than there was in the past. We don't have great defensive metrics, but we have better defensive metrics than we had in the past. Adrian Beltre, all you do, had to do was watch him play to know from the eye test that he was a great defender. But he is getting a, a, into the Hall of Fame because he was an all-around brilliant talent. And that speaks volumes. Third in war all-time among third basemen, regardless of what you think of war. And it's an estimate. It's not a perfect metric by any stretch of the imagination. But that tells you something, that he is that high in that category. And better, and again, I mentioned this earlier, but in the clubhouse, one of the best leaders I was ever around, controlled the clubhouse like nobody I'd ever seen, um, was able to control everything from the, the offense to the defense to the way people acted to the way people dressed, was able to relate to every single person that walked through the clubhouse door, 
just one of the all-time greats. And again, I can't say this enough, well-deserved. And this is what, if you were going to draw up a first ballot Hall of Famer, Adrian Beltre is it. Offense, defense, personality, clubhouse presence, the way he carried himself, the way he acted, just a great human being. And congratulations, Adrian. And didn't do it all with one team. Obviously, he had those those young days with the Dodgers when he came up and looked good right from the jump. Spent some time with Boston, among other spots. But Texas has to be the hat, right, that you wear and that you remember Beltre with the most. You're both agreeing? I would agree hey, with yes. that. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting, Scott, that one year in Boston kind of got things going for him again. Remember, he had that pillow contract, and then he kind of took off from there, and he had those great years in Texas. But the way the Hall – distinguishes this is by saying where did the player leave his biggest mark I would expect that most people would agree that Adrian Beltre left his biggest mark with the Rangers took them to a World Series did some really great things there agreed again I, I remember him yep I remember when he came up with LA played against them in the Florida State League back in 1997 was like who's this dang young kid next thing you know he was in the big leagues like he's not that year the next year took off from there I think at one time he might still have the Dodgers franchise record, right, with 49 home runs in one year in 2004, I believe it was. Went to Seattle. Things didn't go as well. Boston, like you said, and then just a completely renaissance, completely took off again in Texas, and just a complete guy, complete player, and he deserves it. And the and actually, Scott, it was two incredible. World Series in Texas, not just one. Right, right. Yeah, and, and incredible longevity, obviously, for Adrian Beltre. And, yes, plenty of success, too, and some postseason ball for him. So, again, congratulations. You know he's one of the guys in the league for a long time that created many smiles and always brought it himself, too. So, congrats to Adrian Beltre. First time on the ballot. Easy. Lock. He's in. He is a Hall of Famer. Hey, congratulations to Todd Helton. Sixth time here on the ballot, and he gets in. To the Hall of Fame, a little FT breaking news, Scotty Braun, Ken Rosenthal, and A.J. Pruszynski. A.J., what did you think of Todd Helton? And I will say Colorado in general, because it still has that kind of smoke rising above it where it's like, I don't know, you're playing in Coors Field, your numbers get inflated. So Helton was a great case because of obviously spending his entire career there. Uh, listen, I'm happy for Todd Helton. Uh, and, and to get into the Hall of Fame after many years of waiting. Maybe we can finally, after Larry Walker and now Todd Helton, we can dispel the course field myth that Ken and all these other writers have because he his numbers <laughs> say, hey, this guy should be a Hall of Famer. Uh, he hit on the road. He hit at home. Of course, his numbers are going to be inflated at course field. Everybody's would be. But listen, five-time All-Star, silver sluggers, batting titles. You know, you hit 316, you, you slug, and you have the OPS of what you have. 17 seasons, all with one team, by the way. That stuff matters. So, listen, Todd Helton should have been in a few years ago. Not a first ballot guy, but he should have been in, and I'm happy for Todd that he's getting in after a long wait. Ken and all of the other writers who snubbed these guys actually elected both of Larry Walker and Todd Helton <laughs> to the Hall of Fame. Amazing how this happens. I came around on both those guys. I did not vote for them initially. And over the years, we've learned more about the core's effect. And not that it just boosts players offensively, which it does, but also it makes it more challenging on the road for them to hit breaking balls because they move differently. And it makes things more challenging physically because it takes a toll playing at altitude. There's no question about that. So Todd Helton for his durability at altitude, for that alone, it's an amazing accomplishment what he did. 
And then you look at his road OPS. People talk about, oh, what was, he, what was he doing on the road? Well, he had a higher road OPS than Eddie Murray, than Dave Winfield, than a number of other Hall of Famers. So the writers over the years have come to realize that Coors is kind of a double-edged sword. And it works for players. It works against players. And I'm with AJ on one point. These guys deserve to be Hall of Famers. And AJ, you know I love OPS+. Plus. That, that is park-adjusted for him. So during his 10-year peak, 1998 to 2007, he was at 144. Like, we, we get it. You're at Coors, and especially back then, right? And just for many years, everyone's like, oh, it's Coors. It's different. But no, wait. There is a stat that at least helps to tell the story to adjust for that because it knows that everyone goes there and can thrive and the games generally are going to be higher scoring. And so that all factors in. And yet still you look at him and you're like, he was worlds above most of the rest of the competition for a long period of time. His career OPS plus was 133. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's what, 33% better than the average player. So listen, Todd Helton should have been in a few years ago. Again, I don't think he's a first ballot guy. But he could hit at home. He could hit on the road. And every time he played the Rockies when he was there, you looked at one guy and you're like, all right, we're not letting Todd Helton beat us. And he still found a way to do it. So he, to me, he was a Hall of Famer. As a former player, you look at guys and you say, okay, this guy is better than the rest of the league, so this guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. You, you look at Adrian Beltre, you're like, okay, this guy is better. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I looked at Todd Helton and said, okay, this guy is better than everybody that – not everybody, but most guys that we play against – He's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. And to me, the eye test helps. And Todd Helton passed the eye test for Hall of Famer. Also, too, we should talk about his defense. This guy won three gold gloves. He was an elite defender at first base. And that matters. Matters whether you're playing at Coors or whether you're playing on the road. That comes to the park every day. That's the old baseball cliche. Defense comes to the park every day. So, yeah, it probably took a little bit too long. I get that, AJ. And I, that's a fair criticism of our voting process. But... Again, over the years, it has become more apparent, really, the drain that Coors takes on players. And I mentioned that earlier, but I want to mention it again because it's such a huge factor. When you go on the road there, you are physically tired because you are coming off a homestand where you were playing every day at altitude. You're sometimes tired at home, playing every day at altitude. You look at this guy's games played, it was really impressive. So... Todd Helton, yes, very deserving and absolutely a great choice. And, and on top of that, I'll just add, Ken, how difficult it is and it's been for the Rockies to field competitive ball clubs and especially any consistency with that. I mean, I'm generalizing a little bit here, but they had more success during the Todd Helton era than they've had since, right? You had that just little dash of uh, playoff taste there when Nolan Arenado was there. But otherwise, I mean, obviously they make their only World Series appearance during his time there and he probably has hogged up like a good chunk of of Rockies franchise years in general but point being it has not been easy to even put a winning product on the field let alone have anyone with consistent success like he was able to put together and stay on the field which could also take a toll on your health absolutely right Scott and that challenge that you speak of with the team also speaks to his greatness because it's interesting some players are on great teams. Some Hall of Famers are on great teams. And to some degree, I want AJ to chime in on this. I would say it's easier to play for a winning team, but there's no problem getting up for it every day. Colorado, they weren't always in it. 2007 was a tremendous, crazy run. Helton was a huge part of that, of course. But there were other years where I'm sure the motivation was not the same, or at least the energy was not the same. And 
to some extent, you have to kind of weigh that in too because it's, in my view, a little bit more difficult for those guys to do what they do. You're right. You're 100% right. It's much easier when you're on a winning team and a team that has a chance to go to the playoffs to show up every day. But Todd Helton showed up whether they were in it, out of it, wherever they were. He showed up. He put his glove on. He went out to first. He grabbed his bat. He took his at-bats. And all he did was hit. I mean, there's a five-year span there. We had OPSs over 1,000. So winning or losing. And these weren't in their glory years. 2000, 2001, 2002, 2004, they weren't very good. So for him to go out there and do that every day, play – you know, 130, 115, 130, 135 games is a testament to him and how well he could focus and how great of a player he truly was. Yeah, and I liked your point. This is a guy you circle in the lineup. Like, hey, let's avoid him. Let's walk him, right? Let's not give him too many pitches. I mean, he was that guy for a long time. Congratulations to Todd Helton. Sixth crack at it, and he's in. He is a Hall of Famer. For more baseball in general, authentic baseball content, we've got you. Foul territory, 1 to 3 Eastern if you want to catch us live weekdays. And also Ken's Fair territory every single week on YouTube or wherever you get your pods. Congrats again to Todd Helton and to the Rockies franchise. Look at that. First time on the ballot for the great Joe Maurer. And the Minnesota twin legend is now in the Hall of Fame. Scotty Braun, A.J. Pruszynski, and Ken Rosenthal. So, Ken, first off, on the writer's side, were you surprised that he gets in right from the jump? I mean, he is definitely a more hotly debated subject because some of the counting stats are certainly not there, although they're not there for many catchers. But he had a unique career. He did have a unique career, and that was why some people thought maybe he wouldn't do so well in the voting his first time around. What happened to him, obviously we all know, the concussions, and that forced him to first base, and it changed things dramatically. But when I look at my ballot, and when I start judging which players I'm going to vote for, the first thing I look at is tenure dominance. That's my first prerequisite. Not every player meets that, and I still vote for some who don't. But that's the one thing I really like in a Hall of Famer. Joe Maurer had that, and he had that at one of the game's most demanding positions. During his time at catcher, those 10 years, he won gold gloves. He won three batting titles. He won an MVP. Now, did he win playoff games? No. Did he hit a ton of home runs? No. So you can look at that and say, all right, this is not a great profile. But those 10 years... For the number one pick in the country, when she, which he was when he was drafted, for a guy who stayed with his team the entire career, his entire career, I just felt that was more than enough. Because catcher is such a difficult spot. It's a difficult spot to judge, but it's a difficult position to play. And it, to me, he passed the bar, even though, of course, his career did not end the way he wanted it to. We got a Twins catcher on here, so what do you have for us? 143 dingers. That's where he's going to get dinged, obviously, AJ, but he gets in. And the slash line's sexy, the credentials, obviously, with the All-Stars, the Gold Gloves, et cetera, the 10-year peak. Uh, what do you think? And also, what can you tell us about you know playing in a time period that Joe was around? Um, listen, Joe, I thought Joe would get in. I didn't think he'd get in on the first ballot, so it's a little bit surprising that he's going to get in on the first ballot because of the things Ken mentioned. Joe, Joe was the guy who replaced me in Minnesota. He went on and stayed there his entire career. He grew up in Minnesota, and he, he had an unbelievable career with the Twins. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame if you look at that 10-year career, and he's going to get in, and that's great. That's awesome for Joe, and I'm very happy for him and his family. I, I think the thing that we need to look at is, those, like Ken said, put those 10 years, 8 years, 9 years, whatever you want to say when he was a primary catcher, the three uh, batting titles that he won, no other catcher – had done that at the time, the MVP he won, 
the home runs people ding him on, but he wasn't a home run hitter. He was more of a line drive to left, uh, two-strike approach kind of guy. But listen, he had a great career, and now he's going to the Hall of Fame. So congratulations, Joe. And hey, if you're going to replace, get replaced by somebody on a team, it better be a first ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. So, uh, AJ, do you feel like the – I'm sure I know the answer here. The position is underrepresented because I will say on my end, when I first thought of him and looked at some of just the basic stats, I was like, I don't think so, or at least take a while. And then I started to get convinced from from articles, from stats, from just remembering what he did do when he was in his prime. And yes, I think this is where, you know, wins above replacement can help. Seven-year peak was high. His overall number kind of passes the bar in terms of who's around. Um, and then I'll mix in one stat after. But don't you think, in general, that position just doesn't get enough love? Well, of course. I mean, as being a former catcher, of course I think there should be more catchers in the Hall of Fame. Um, but the numbers are hard because you can't really add up counting numbers uh, because you don't get to play as many games as other positions. So that's why, especially with Joe, you really have to look at that seven- to eight-year run that he had and, and what he did because, you know, he played so many games at first base. He DH'd so many games. He had so many injuries where he couldn't catch anymore that if you have to look at those seven- to eight-year peak, I mean, yeah, he was one of the all-time best for those seven or eight years. But like Ken said, I think that's why people look at it and say, man, I don't know if he's a first ballot guy. He's definitely a Hall of Fame guy, but a first ballot guy because that's supposed to be special because of all the other games and how many years he spent at first base. And if you add up the counting stats, which are usually what is the most important thing for the Hall of Fame as just a catcher, they're not very high, but people took that seven-year peak and thought it was good enough. So, again, congratulations to Joe. I'm happy for Joe and his family. One thing that's changing here, Scott, and it's really difficult – for voters as we go through the process here. How do you judge players whose careers were curtailed for one physical reason or another? Chase Utley falls into that category to some degree. David Wright was on the ballot this year. He falls into that category. Dustin Pedroia, he'll be on the ballot next year. And AJ's right, counting numbers have been in the past what we went to first. 3,000 hits, 500 homers, 300 wins for a pitcher. It's changing. And it's changing because the careers are kind of evolving differently. The game has changed. Players aren't playing as much. Starters aren't used the same way. So these are things that we're going to have to account for. And it seems to me that the election of Maurer on the first ballot is perhaps a signal that this trend is going to change to accommodate some of these players who were in these situations. Now... You can go back in history and say, whoa, whoa, what about Don Mattingly and others in the same category? And these are fair questions. And Jason Stark put it best when he wrote this in The Athletic. As the game changes and as the way we view the game changes, voters have to evolve with that. And it seems to me that is what is happening here. Yeah, and I liked the stat Jason put up. I know different dudes in different positions, but premium positions he put up. Ernie Banks with a 138 OPS plus. So just looking at the hitting as a shortstop. And then he had that, you know, second stage of his career as a first baseman. who He was more league average. Maurer had the same kind of numbers there at first base. But at catcher during that time period, 135 OPS plus. I mean, he was he was worlds better if, if you're going off a stat like that hitting wise than most of the rest of the catchers during that time period. So it is interesting. And yeah, AJ, maybe we do have to look back a little bit to some of the guys that caught got their careers cut short in the past. Agreed. I think, I think Ken brought up some great names, Don Mattingly, some other guys that, that became injured and couldn't finish it off. So 
I, I think by now we're getting in, it's going to open it up, especially to like the veterans committee. They got to take a look at some guys that who maybe got injured, maybe didn't play as much as they could have, but you know, everyone looks at a hall of famer differently. Ken has a vote. I don't. And so it's just, it's just a personal preference. And my favorite line that Ken said was he played the whole career in Minnesota. Does that make you a better player, Ken? I couldn't figure that one out, but congratulations, Joe. (laughs) AJ, it doesn't make you a better player, but it does tell you something about the player. And also, it's the Hall of Fame. Now, granted, we judge it mostly on statistics, but fame in my head is always part of it. The fact that he was a number one draft pick who was a lifetime player for the Minnesota Twins was such a huge part of their identity. That, to me, matters. It doesn't matter as much as the statistics and all the tangible accomplishments, but it does kind of figure into my thinking. I will say, and this is a different topic for another day, and we'll move on, but Johan Santana, a former teammate of his, you start to look back and you're like, damn, I mean, he was the best pitcher for a little stretch there, and it was a shorter career than than most would have looked at for the Hall of Fame, but I don't know. It's just guys like that that maybe you look back on topic for another day, but for now, the lifetime twin, Joe Maurer, is in the Hall of Fame, first ballot guy. Congratulations to him, and for more coverage, obviously, of the Hall of Fame and basically anything else in baseball, real talk. Scotty Braun here, uh, Ken Rosenthal, AJ Przinski, and many of our other friends. You can catch us on Foul Territory or on Ken's own Fair Territory. We'll see you soon.